Okay, how are we doing? Well, thank you for Michaela uh, for praying for me. You know, um, wasn't expecting that at all. Um, it feels like I've got quite a good amount of time to share God's word with you. So I maybe God's got something He wants to say to all of us this morning. So I feel um, a bit of responsibility now. But you know, God is here by His Holy Spirit, and um, I don't think Michaela knew what I was preaching on today before this morning. But we're coming to the end of a, a series on looking at some of the parables that Jesus told the disciples, uh, people that were around at the time. And the parables are great nuggets of truth that Jesus wanted us, um, disciples at the time, those following, to understand something about the kingdom of God. So the parables are full of great nuggets, and one, as I've been preparing, I felt um, God lead me to want to share with you the, the parable of the uh, prodigal son, or the lost son, as it's sometimes known as. And um, in many ways, that ties into some of the things that God's been wanting and sort of leading us in as, as we've been worshipping together this morning. So... If you'd like to turn with me to this parable, which can be found in Luke's Gospel, uh, Luke 15, and uh, it can be found in verse 11, and it goes all the way to 31. So what I thought I'd do this morning, and I've done this a little bit before, but I thought I'd go through the parable as we go along, rather than read it all through at the beginning. So I'm going to pick out some verses that I really feel that God wants us to hear this morning. Um, together. So let's look at this. Uh, so yes, yeah, so Luke 15. So this chapter, Luke 15, comes straight after Luke 14. Funny that, isn't it? And in Luke 14, Jesus had been uh, dining with a prominent Pharisee. So Pharisees were the religious leaders at the time, the Jewish leaders. And the Pharisees, seeing and outworking God's law, and in Luke 14, um, we read in, in verse 1, um, we read there that uh, on a Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat at the house of a prominent Pharisee. He was being carefully watched. See, the Pharisees, they didn't really like Jesus. They didn't really like the fact that he, he didn't carry out the law the way they wanted him to. Jesus did things a bit different. And that, they, they, weren't, they didn't like that. They, he was rocking the boat a bit. So they were carefully watching him. And so in Luke 14, we read of a, a couple of other parables. We read about a wedding feast and a great banquet where Jesus is really starting to hone in on the heart and the motivation of these Pharisees. Looking at what actually is important. What's important in their lives as these religious leaders? And, and from them, we draw truths at what becomes important for us as followers of Christ. And then we come here to Luke 15. In Luke 15, here he is. Um, he's gathered, we see in, in, in verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. So it's a slightly different audience. 
This audience is made up of tax collectors, and tax collectors in those days were, were deemed pretty low in society. They're not viewed very highly, and, and then it talks of sinners. But then it goes in verse 2, it says, uh, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So not too far away, we have the Pharisees again, and the teachers of the law, where they themselves are muttering, you know, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You know, they are privately expressing complaints at Jesus as they mutter. Muttering is that sense of privately, not saying it out loud so people can hear. They're expressing their dissatisfaction that this man Jesus has come. He's, he's expressing his wisdom and his insights, and he's mixing with this worthless crowd. And from this context, Jesus tells this parable. And today I'm going to look at this parable through the eyes of the two sons and subsequently the response of the father to both of these sons. There's a response of extravagant grace as we've been hearing about this morning. This father's wonderful mercy that he shows to both his sons as he welcomes them back into his family. And there's the truth right there, that we have a heavenly Father who welcomes each one of us into his family. That because of Christ, there is nothing that can disqualify anybody into the God's family. Isn't that great? That's the truth. That's what we go home with today, brilliant. Because that is the truth of the gospel. The truth of God the Father. So today, my prayer for each one of us is that God will speak something new to each of our hearts as we look to him. For those of us who know this story really well, and for those of us who this story we may be hearing for the first time, I pray that the Holy Spirit really speaks into your heart this morning. So let's have a look at this parable together, starting from verse 11. So verse 11, Jesus continued. So he's already told two parables, parable of a lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. And here we come to the parable of the parable, uh, the prodigal. Who had two sons, the younger one said to the father, give me my share of the estate. Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, I'm just going to pause here for a moment. The younger son wasn't just looking for spending money. He wasn't just saying, Dad, can I have 20 quid to go out and have a couple of beers with my mates? He was asking for everything. Everything that was due to him by rights, by his inheritance, because he was his father's son. But the listeners, the, 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 the audience of Jesus at this time, as he tells his parable, and, and maybe even like you and me perhaps, you know, it's actually quite a shock to, for this request because the inheritance that you usually obtain, you usually get that when the father has died. So 
The son, in asking for his inheritance now, is basically wishing that his father was dead. The son demanding his share of the estate is demonstrating that he actually has no love for his father. He's more interested in the father's things, the father's wealth, his inheritance, than the father himself. The son wants his wealth, he wants the estate, but not the relationship with his father. And he's happy to forego that for the wealth and money that he can obtain in his inheritance. Now, giving the estate before the rightful time in ancient Middle Eastern culture was completely unheard of. And I think probably it's pretty unheard of now. So the shock and amazement would have been written on everyone's faces as Jesus started telling the story. So let's see what the father does. One of my sons asking me to give me half of my house. The father could very easily have recognized the sin and selfish nature of the son, the son's rejection of him, the son's foolish actions, and sought to give him a right earful. Why not? You know, the son's disrespectful, he's insolent, he's rude. How dare he ask for his inheritance? How dare he reject me, his father, his family? He could have just sent him packing. You know, in ancient, again, ancient Middle Eastern times, the father may well have beaten the son and driven him out for this sort of behavior. But what does the father do in the parable? We read in the second half of the verse, he divided his property between them. He has to sell a third of his land because generally the older son gets two-thirds and the younger son gets a third. You know, in the days of when this parable was written, there was a lot of identity tied up in the land that they owned. You know, the Greek word for property in this verse is bios which means by that which life is sustained. You know, Tim Keller, I got a lot of my resource on this particular passage, talks about the son, in asking for his inheritance, is asking the father to literally tear his life apart, to tear himself apart in order that he might receive his inheritance. And what does the father do? He does it. So right from the outset of this parable, there is a powerful demonstration of the love and grace that the father has as he gives himself to the son. You know, and this wouldn't have been expected at all. So let's read on. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. He spent it all. He spent everything that he was given. Probably at first, the best hotels, most extravagant kind of accommodation, our restaurants, because he had this wealth, he had these good things that to spend, the best eateries, But you can imagine that after time, the 
The money begins to run out, so he resorts to perhaps cheaper places, bedsits, cheapest room, the cheapest women, till finally he attaches himself to a citizen of a country foreign to his own. We read in, in verse 15, he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. So he was now working for a Gentile. He would, he would have been a Jew. He was in a, a foreigner in a foreign country. He was an unclean person that he was working for, doing an unclean occupation. Irony that he's feeding pigs. He's reached the lowest of the low, and he's desperately hungry, desperately hungry. He longs to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. The kind of people that he must have mixed with really weren't interested in him whatsoever. But while he's in this state, while he's in this state of having lost everything, we then read in verse 17 that he came to his senses. Something happened to this son where he was doing all these things, living his life, and he came to his senses. He had a change of heart. And in his heart, he plans to go home. So he rehearses what he's going to say and thinks, right, this is what I'm going to say. I'm going to say to my father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. You know, I think at this moment, there must be in this son a glimmer of hope. You know, being in that pigsty every day, he must have had no hope. And just for a moment, he thinks, if I repent, if I go to my father and say, look, I'm sorry, I've sinned against you, there may be a chance of redemption. He has hope that just maybe he can throw himself at the mercy of his father. And you know what? We have a God of mercy. There is great mercy. There is great forgiveness in our heavenly father. Do you know the mercy and forgiveness and healing of God in your life? Have you experienced that? Do you know it? Because it's available for each and every one of us. And you know, this man was about to discover it for himself. So again, we see the father's heart for this young man's revealed. He bears no resentment towards his son, no animosity, only love and compassion. And let's read about it in verse 20. While, but while he was, the son that is, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Wow. How about that? You know, this prodigal son's uh, a parable was preached in this church about three years ago. And when Vlada preached this, Vlada was a member of this church. He's, he's moved on. The Lord's moved him to another place. But it's, he preaches so passionately. And when I spoke to my wife about this particular aspect 
of the father meeting the son. The bit that she remembered was when Vlada described this. And the way he described it was phenomenal. He talked about the father just hitching his, he would have had long dress on, just holding it up and running undignified towards his son. You know, and a man in this culture, with this stature, in this community, you would never have seen him running towards a son that would have returned. He's dignified. He's an upstanding man of the community. But he runs when he sees his son coming over the hill. Well, we don't know it was a hill, but he was coming. You know, there's something very powerful about imagining this man running to meet his long-lost son. The father welcomed him with total forgiveness and grace. He was welcomed home. He was accepted, even though he'd squandered everything that he'd been given. I mean, what amazing grace that we have in our Heavenly Father. What amazing grace his father had towards his son. You know, there may be fathers who would not welcome their sons in this way. You know, the younger man, he blew it. He blew it once. You know, for some fathers, the conversation may go a bit like this. Oh, it's you. You're back. What are you doing back? You know, you need to get yourself cleaned up before I let you back here. Uh, and Oh, um, get yourself a job. Show that you can be responsible. Hopefully, being away you know, it's taught you a lesson or two. <laughs> the reason I was able to write that is, you know, sometimes my heart can be a bit like that towards my own children. I have two boys who can sometimes test my patience. You know, as much as I, my desire is to be that loving father, sometimes my motive can be just like what I've just read there. And the challenge is for us who are fathers is to show that grace and our love towards our own children, towards everybody, even if you haven't got children. So how does his father respond? He kisses him. He puts the best robe on him. He puts a ring on his finger, not just any ring. It's a ring to signify that he's part of the family. He receives the greatest and most wonderful honor from his long lost father. Now, does anyone watch Long Lost Family? Anybody? A few nods, a few hands. It's, um, I watch it, but purely by association in some ways, because often I'd be out for an evening and I'd get home and Abby would be watching telly, Abby's my wife, and Long Lost Family would be on. I think there's been a new series on or something, so she's been watching and Catching up with that on um, Catch Up. You know, when a family is reunited, there is great joy with a, a sort of a health warning. Because when I walk in, I sit down, right, I make myself a cup of uh, Roy Bosch, come and sit down. And literally, I can tell you the truth here that within 10 minutes, tears flooding from my eyes as these families are reunited. Some of them have never known each other. Yet when they come together, it's as if they've known each other for years. There's such joy. 
There's great stories of forgiveness, of redemption, of healing. You know, the grace and love that's, that's offered to each other as they give each other gifts, as they sort of hug each other for the first time, it's incredible. It's just like in this parable that the Father shows love and acceptance that's undeserved, unconditional, unwarranted, abounding joy that his Son has returned. And the same is true of our Heavenly Father towards us. No matter how far that you may have fallen, how awful the things that you may have done, you can come home. The Father is waiting. The Father beckons us, each and every one of us. He accepts us and he loves us. He has an ab- Now, let's turn for a moment to the older son. So that's the younger son. He's now returned home. The dad says he's going to have a party, so they're going to have a party. The family, we're all going to get together. In fact, not just the family, the whole village are going to come together. But let's turn for a moment to the older son. So the older son, we read in verse 25, he was in the field. So meanwhile, the older son, who was in the field, when he came near the house, and then the servant explains that his brothers returned, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he, has, because he has him back safe and sound. The son became very angry. He's furious. Oh, I don't know, is that what we expected? Why is this brother so mad? What's he so angry about? His brother's back. Surely he should be happy. His long-lost brother has returned. He could have been dead. He could have been killed. But he's alive. There's no long-lost family program here for the BBC. It's not one of those happy endings that we see on the program. Why is he so mad? Well, firstly, I would say this. It's because he sees his father using his inheritance in a way that he didn't like. You know, it was the fattened calf. The fattened calf, for goodness sake. You know, maybe he could um, kill, a, kill a goat or, you know, a chicken or something, you know. But the fattened calf. You know, in those days, the, the fattened calf was the most expensive delicacy. You know, people didn't generally eat meat because it was so expensive. The fattened calf was a one-off occasion. So to eat it was a big deal. You know, so much so that the entire village would have been invited to the meal, and this made him furious. And secondly, he was mad because actually, deep down, he was more interested in himself. He was more interested, actually, in his inheritance and his wealth than his relationship with his brother, but even more so his relationship with his father. 
he actually was probably as distant from his father as his younger brother was when he left. He didn't care, actually, about his father's heart. How do we know? Well, if we read in verse 28, when the older brother became angry, what happened? He refused to go into the house. He refused to go to the party. He refused to be any part of the celebration. The older brother despised his father's joy. He resented it. You know, why should, it says later in the verse, it says, why should this son of yours be celebrated? He didn't want anything to do with his brother. The younger brother, in his eyes, had brought shame to the family with his behavior. He didn't deserve, he didn't want to see his brother. He had no love for his brother, and because of this, he resented the fact that his father demonstrated love and grace towards him. And unfortunately, the sad part of this story is that the older, we don't know whether the older brother actually decides to go in to the party. Now, let's just take a moment to consider uh, Jesus' audience as he tells his parable. As we've mentioned, there was a crowd gathered around him. But somewhere around would have been the Pharisees listening, the teachers of the law, caught up in their mutterings, their complaints. What Jesus is saying in this parable is that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, are like the older brother. They were alienated from God because of their desire to earn their way to God's heart, to earn it by doing good. The older brother had done good. If we do good, we'll receive what's rightfully ours. We read... In verse 29, look, Father, look, exclamation mark, all these years, not just the last week, last month, but all these years, it would have been all the years that his younger brother would have been away. All these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. He wanted to earn his father's love, but his father's love was always there. He didn't need to earn it. All he needed to do was receive it. But again, let's look at the father. How did the father respond to the older son? Did he ignore him? Does he get frustrated with the older son and get angry in return? Probably might be one of my responses on a bad day. Let's read in verse 28. What does he do? So his father went out and pleaded with him. So his father leaves the party. He leaves this wonderful celebration and goes out and pleads with his eldest. A demonstration of grace. Wanting to go out, wanting to draw his son back. Wanting to invite him to come in to this wonderful feast. You know, I really felt as I was preparing that um, God, one of the things God might want to speak to somebody here today is that I think God sometimes puts peacemakers, advocates, and intermediaries into our lives to help us find God. You know, there are sometimes that there are people that 
demonstrate the grace and love of God by pleading with us to make good choices, to help us surrender to God's will, to help us find afresh the new promises or even revisiting old promises that God might have for us. Now, as Christians, we're all called to do this for each other. But occasionally we meet people who enable us to see the truth in a way that just kind of we go, oh, yeah, that's right. I didn't see it, but actually you're right. I need to surrender that. People in our life to help us step into fruits of forgiveness and humility. Do you know someone like that? You know, my wife is one of those people for me. She helps point out things for me that I can say, you know what, actually, I don't need to be so strict with my children. You know what, I don't need to make a big deal of that particular issue. And sometimes we need people who can be our advocates, who can be peacemakers, that speak to our hearts, that enable us to surrender things before our loving Heavenly Father. One of the things from that I felt God wants to encourage us with is to look out for those people whom God has sent to you individually. People who are for you, who love you, and will be like the Father here and plead with you to enjoy and know the grace and blessings of forgiveness, repentance, and the Father's love. So, we read in verse 31, My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. What a wonderful truth about each and every one of us who follows Jesus, who knows Jesus. He says, all I have is yours. Come and enjoy me. Come and enjoy the feast. The, you know, there's this talk of in the wonderful revelation of this wedding banquet, of this feast that God has for us, that we are looking forward to in heaven. Jesus says, come. Come with me. Come to me. So Jesus shows us in this parable, in fact, that both sons are lost. Both were distant from their father and both were trying to control their father's things, the father's estate, the father's wealth and inheritance. But they were both doing it in two different ways. And I've got one more quote from Tim Keller. He sort of explains it like this. He says, the younger brother controls by leaving and disobeying. That can be quite the obvious way of being lost. You know, that you've, you've gone away from God, you've gone away from his kingdom, his purposes, and then you realize and then you come back. And that's a wonderful truth. And we all know that wonderful story of God brings us back. But then the older brother controls their father's estate by staying and obeying. Not so obvious, but equally lost. The religious leaders thought that they were on God's mission. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, 
They felt like they were obeying. They were fulfilling the law. But they were lost. The younger brother trying to control his life by breaking all the rules. And the older brother trying to control his life by keeping them. You know, our Christian walk is not a walk of obeying rules. It's a walk that's a relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's knowing Jesus, living with Jesus, knowing him guiding us every step of our lives. So as we conclude, coming to the end, as we see in the end here, ironically, you know, it's the younger brother who comes back into relationship with the father. It's the younger brother who knows the heart of the father. The one who appears on the outside to be further away is able to come back. It's the younger brother who recognizes his sin, repents, and comes into the father's loving embrace. Christ has paid the price for sin on the cross. It's done. It's finished. You know, we've, you know, we've, if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, there is great joy at receiving the salvation and the promises of God, the eternal life that he has sanctioned for us in dying on the cross and his resurrection. We've all received that in Christ. Jesus is the source of all things. He is our saviour and the work has been done. In many ways, it's harder for the younger brother to come into the feast. You know, why should he celebrate his brother's return? Why should he be pleased with the grace and forgiveness that his father shows? You know, his brother doesn't deserve it. But herein lies the secret of grace. It's the undeserved favor of God that is available for each and every one of us. Jesus eats with sinners because he understands that the Father's heart of grace and mercy extends to everybody, to all people. Nobody is beyond the grace and mercy of God. Do you feel beyond the mercy of God? Do you feel unworthy? to come to God today? Did you struggle to worship him this morning? Do you feel shame? Do you feel unacceptable? Know that there is no shame in Jesus. He scorned shame on the cross. There is complete acceptance in Jesus. So the great message from today's parable is that you are accepted. Come like the younger son. Come and feast with Jesus. Receive the love and joy of the Father as he welcomes you home. Or maybe you've been striving, seeking acceptance and approval in all that you do, rather than just being and knowing that you are an awesome, loved, mighty person in God. I think as Christians... You know, sometimes we can be prone to do this, to strive, to sort of do. 
when it comes to knowing our acceptance. It's easy to do. It's easy to do. And an easy clue to to this is to, to see how much time you're spending with Jesus, how much time you're delighting in his presence, how much time you're worshipping and declaring his praises, whether it be in the car, whether it be in the morning over breakfast, whether it be just when you, just on your own, wherever. Delight in Jesus. He's drawing each and every one of us into his presence. Come back to him. Know that you are welcome in his family. I just wanted to share a couple of scriptures with you that I really feel just um, God wants to say this morning. First is from John 14. John 14 says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. I think it takes trust to receive the love of the Father. You have to trust the Father's embrace. Trust that he is a good God. He's a faithful God and he has good things for you. Trust and do not let your hearts be troubled. It says, in my Father's house are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. There's many rooms. God is drawing us into his family, into his wonderful house. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then finally in Revelation 22:17, it says, come, come, come and know the Father. Come and know his grace and his love for you. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Our Father says, come. Come into his presence. Come and know him this morning. Respond to his love and his grace as he ministers to your heart. All those things that you may be thinking about your week, bring them to him. Lay them at his feet that you might experience that wonderful gift of living water to refresh your soul. That he has called you. He's called you for purpose. He's called you by name. That your name is written in a book and it can never be erased. That you have been called to a wonderful feast. That you are a son and daughter of the living God. Come to him. Come to him if you're thirsty. And he wants to fill you with that everlasting life. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand.